Welcome to Let's Eat. I'm your host, Emily, holistic health coach and self-proclaimed wellness enthusiast, here to meet you at the intersection of physical and mental health, the exact location where optimal wellness lies. This podcast is meant to explore all areas of mind and body wellness, designed to offer you the integrative knowledge, behavioral strategies, and mindset shifts necessary to uplevel your health and feel better today. We'll explore nutrition, sleep, movement, self-care and stress management, habits and routines, gut health, mental health, and more. I am so happy that you're here. Welcome to the table. Let's eat. Welcome back to Let's Eat, everyone. I am excited. Now, I know I say that at the beginning of every episode, but today I'm particularly excited because it is a pretty monumental moment in the Let's Eat history. Today, I'm going to be hosting my very first guest. I am going to have a conversation with my friend and fellow health coach, Bailey Seaton, all about health, wellness, her story, inflammation, and so forth. I met Bailey in the fall of 2022. We were both registered and involved in a business mastermind. It started in October 2022. It was a four-month program. And through this program, she and I, along with another health coach, really bonded and and became our own little community within ourselves, within the three of us. And since then, we've really utilized each other's support and guidance and feedback in our own entrepreneurial journey, in our health and wellness work. And it's been a really valuable friendship that has brought a lot of community and support and companionship in the world of entrepreneurship, which for the sake of being a small business owner and whatnot, it can feel very isolating. So not only has Bailey become a coworker in the world of entrepreneurship, but she's also an incredibly influential health coach, and I'm excited for you all to meet her today. So as mentioned, Bailey is an anti-inflammatory focused holistic health coach. She's also a personal trainer and the founder of Divine Purpose. Divine Purpose is an integrative health coaching business that focuses on helping women both reduce inflammation and stress and heal their relationship with food through low-impact movement, anti-inflammatory focused recipes, exclusive podcasts and workbooks, and wellness blogs. Her signature one-on-one coaching program, Nourish the Flourish, which I'm obsessed with that name, gives you the support you need to feel good in your skin, never count calories again, ditch the scale for good, and significantly reduce the various symptoms that occur when you struggle with inflammation. So today's episode, we dive into all of that. We really hit on a lot of important topics, all about the food industry, inflammation, identifying inflammation, what it means to be inflamed, and lots of important conversations that stem from Bailey's experience and insights and her work with clients. This is part one of two parts. The conversation ended up lasting nearly two hours long, and I had originally thought, maybe I could make this work. Maybe we can just do one episode. Personally, I really like long episodes, but I decided for the sake of my listeners, I will cut it into two parts. So today is part one. Stay tuned for part two. Come back next week for part two. And I welcome Bailey to Let's Eat. Let's dig in. Hello, Bailey. Thank you so much for being here today. I welcome you to Let's Eat, um, and I'm so excited for our conversation. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. This is so exciting. Yes. So as I mentioned, Bailey and I met in the fall of 2022 
And since then, we've kind of created our own <laughs> health coach, entrepreneur, you know, kind of support group with our friend Laura. Um, and it's been really wonderful to have these kind of non-traditional coworkers as we move through our own business journeys, as we move through our own health-related journeys and, and all that fun stuff. Um, so I'm really excited to have Bailey here to discuss her expertise, her journey, what brought her to health and wellness. Um, and we're really going to dive into that today. So Bailey, to start, I'd love to hear from you about what brought you to the world of health and wellness. Kind of give us the scoop on your story, significant moments in your life that made you reflect on your own health or made you invest in your own health um, and kind of what led you to where you are now. So growing up, I was just very involved in sports and my mom fed us good food, right? It was, she always did a good job of having a balanced plate, but I noticed that when I got into late high school all the time, like I always felt uncomfortable, my stomach hurt. And then my senior year, I believe of high school, um, I had a back injury. And so mm -hmm. I was practicing, I was super into basketball. That was kind of like my sport. Um, but we were practicing and I just felt like a pop in my low back. And I was like, Ooh, that, that was not right. But like, I kept practicing on it. I've really like my back was super stiff for a long time. And then mm -hmm. I had chronic back pain for the three years following that time. Oh, gosh. Okay. So yeah, from my senior year of high school until my sophomore year of college in full period, I remember my freshman year of college, I actually finally got a diagnosis of what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I learned that I had two fractured vertebrae and a bulging disc. Okay. And I was still doing college dance at that time. And I remember that I went to the back doctor well, the pay was like a pain specialist. Okay. I just called him my back doctor. But <laughs> anyway, I had to get fitted for a back brace. Okay. And I always say if you want a freshman girl in college to feel the most unattractive as possible, oh, like yeah. put her in a back brace. Like I was at a super just low point because I was in so much pain yeah. and my back hurt all the time. And then I was told I had to wear a back brace. Like it just yeah. felt very defeating. It was only to sleep, but I still was just like always uncomfortable. Sure. And so my mom then through that was like, okay, I think we should invest in your health. Really? She was probably yeah. the first person. I was like, let's get you a coach. So I actually worked with a coach, but I never felt like I had a personalized experience. Mm. It was kind of like, she gave me this exercise program. It made my back hurt even worse. Oh gosh. She's okay. trying to help me with the food I was supposed to eat. Yeah. And I ended up just not, I don't know. It's just hard when you go to college to eat good food. Totally. Um, and so I was just at this point where I just always felt uncomfortable. I was still bloated and then COVID hit and I was forced to move home. And at that time I had gained 35 to 40 pounds in college, like just mm -hmm. puffed up. And it was just because I think a lot of water retention, sure. um, like I said, I just didn't feel good. And so I went home and I was like, okay, I need to do something about this. Yeah. Like I'm in chronic pain. I'm always uncomfortable something is not going on um in the meantime i had been on two different medications to manage the pain and did two rounds of steroid injections okay. for my back and nothing helped and so i was like okay with diet and exercise like i need to figure out what's going on and so i really took that summer and like evaluated what i was eating i started weightlifting and i tried to heal my body naturally second pain medication they had told me my kidneys weren't functioning properly and that was around that same time okay. and they were going to put me on a different medication. I'm like, no, I'm done. Like yeah. we're, we're done with this. And I decided again, I was just going to diet and exercise, um, evaluate what was going on and try to fix it. So yeah. then during that time I learned I was lactose intolerant. 
which I'm pretty sure I had been since I was an infant because my mom said I was a terrible whiny baby. And I'm like, okay, so that explains the bloating. My bloating got so much better. And then over the next year, I lost then 35 pounds and was back to a weight where I felt comfortable. Um, And I always emphasize too, like weight loss, you don't have to lose weight to finally feel good about yourself. But for me, I was just like so uncomfortable in my skin. And I just remember crying about gaining weight in college. And, you know, when you don't feel physically good, it's hard to really want to move your body because that's not going to make you feel any better. Yeah. And it didn't for me. So moving home, I think was a big blessing. I mean, obviously COVID was a terrible time in the world, but at the same time, like I was really forced to get away from the party scene in college, get away from the crappy food they were feeding us and eat home cooked meals Mm -hmm. and then take that time for myself. And I would say from there, it was kind of like a 180. So I went from not eating very great to eating really, really clean and went the opposite direction. So then I say it was probably, and I never got like diagnosed with orthorexia, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of the path that I went on for the next year and a half is I would exercise for, because exercise, I finally made me feel so good. I exercised seven days a week for over an hour and a half a day. I obviously went the opposite way. And I, at that time too, eating less food made me feel better, right? Because dairy was the main culprit. So I'm like, well, if I can't eat anything, quote, right? When you think you can eat dairy, it's like everything in the world you can't eat because most things in America have cheese or milk. And so I got really, really restrictive. And I didn't, I mean, I think I started tracking then my calorie intake in spring of 2020. And then I did that until 2020 two maybe ish time frame so for about two years i tracked everything i ate and uh, yeah like i said went opposite and so then i lost i would say probably too much weight and i got to a point where i had a horrible relationship with exercise Mm. a horrible relationship with food and uh, i still hated my body even though my body had maybe gone back to the way it was originally sure it wasn't good enough yeah And I think that's a big piece I want people to understand too, is like if weight loss is your only goal or your only reason for doing something, you're never going to be satisfied. Totally. You truly won't because you can lose as much weight as you want, but there's always going to be something that isn't there. For me, it was, I didn't have six pack abs. So I wasn't at that point yet. Sure. And it's like these things we obsess over. And when you actually evaluate it and you think about, okay, what is my relationship with my body like? I was like, yeah. okay, it's pretty poor. And I started dating my now husband and I really feel like that's when things changed. So of that was just learning that like I'm loved regardless of how skinny and whatever I am, you know? Yeah. And so that was a very healing process. We got married in 2022. I believe. Uh, gosh, I'm like so bad at dates. Like, I feel like this time frame <laughs> was honestly just like a blur. blur. Yeah, it was All like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it was a total blur. But mm-hmm. we got married in 2022. Yes, we did. And uh, that was kind of just when I started healing. He was like, yeah. okay, you're exercising too much. Like he was able to point out things that were, I were, I was doing that weren't necessarily the healthiest. Sure. And in a very gentle, I mean, my husband is very gentle and kind and so, so nice to me. And so it's like he was able to like help me heal gradually by Mm -hmm. just making me not feel embarrassed for my habits that weren't 
maybe the most health supporting. Sure. And I eventually healed that relationship with food and yeah. healed that relationship with exercise. And so, I mean, that's really led me to where I am today. It's a lot. My story is packed. I could go down 600 different avenues, but yeah. that's kind of like a blurb of, of what my life has looked like. Yeah, but I love that. And I appreciate you sharing that because I think it really speaks to your ability to help others now. And, you know, it sounds like those early years in college, it, you know, was a clear illustration of how our physical health impacts our mental health. And mm -hmm. then, you know, even though you were moving in what we would argue a better direction, it eventually progressed into something that was more obsessive. And for mm -hmm. those of you who don't know, orthorexia is not yet a diagnosis that's recognized within the world of mental health, within our diagnostic manual. Hopefully it will be in the coming, in coming years, because I think we see such a prevalence of this issue in the world of wellness that we kind of look the other way. Um, when it comes to it, but it's essentially this obsession or this hyperfixation on healthier eating, healthier habits, um, to the point of disruption of your ability to function as a human mm -hmm. in your life, right? The type of obsession where you go to a party and you have to bring your own food or, you know, you can't miss a workout. So you're finding yourself, like Bailey mentioned, you know, working out seven days a week, um, it comes comes within the category of disordered eating, eating disorders, and so forth. It just yet, yet, hasn't yet been classified as so. Um, but I think it's a very real experience, especially as you embark on your health and wellness journey, that you find such power in exercise and in eating better that you you fall all the way to the other side of the extreme mm -hmm. and it becomes problematic it becomes harmful and you know like you had mentioned damaging to your relationship with exercise damaging to your relationship with food mm -hmm. so it, it sounds like you had both sides of the the spectrum as an experience over the course of those years and then you know finally moving into these past few years you know, finding your relationship with your now husband and so forth, you were able to establish maybe a balance in the midst yes. of it. But being able to have both sides, I think it brings a lot of value to the people that you work with. Yeah. Well, and I think, and I didn't mention this, but I didn't have my period then for mm -hmm. six months okay. after we had gotten married because, and I know it's because I was way over exercising, exercising. Yeah. and putting, and it was at a high intensity, like it was hit workouts seven days a week. Like sure. I would... It wasn't like I was just strength training. Like, no, mm -hmm. I was jumping. I was so hard on my body during that time. Yeah. And I just learned then that wasn't really supporting my body. And when yeah. I didn't have a period, I'm like, okay, I'm severely under eating. You know, we talk about, and you talk about healthy fats too. It was like, well, in my mind, fat was still fat. Yeah. I hadn't quite realized like healthy fats are great for your body and your mind. It was like, no, fat is fat. And so when you don't have fat in your diet too, it's like, okay, it's really hard to get your period because sure. your body is just so malnourished yeah. and you're doing high intensity exercise. Yeah, that's super stressful, super, super mm -hmm. stressful. And essentially, it's just telling the body, hey, you're not in a position to reproduce. You're not in a yeah. position to, to, you know, ovulate and, and, you know, have a menstrual period and, and all that because of the fact that your environment is chaotic and it's stressful. Mm -hmm. So it's your body's kind of innate way of saying, you know, this is not the time for us to bring life into the world because our bodies are, are so overly you know, stressed and our nervous mm -hmm. system's a mess and our cortisol levels are all over the place. So yeah, it, it makes complete sense when you look at it on that level. Yeah. Um, so was it through this time then that your back pain resolved 
entirely? Do you still feel like that's something that you navigate or where, where, where did you notice that kind of shift and, and does it still continue to be something that you, you look at today? Yeah. So when I had moved home in 2020, um, then that year I lived in an apartment, so I got to make my own food. I chose how I exercise. And I think really through losing the weight, I noticed that I felt better just because I also was gaining strength too. like core strength and hamstring strength was a huge thing for me. Um, Although I was over exercising, I was strengthening the correct areas of my body to support my spine and my low back. And so I honestly noticed from that point, like my back pain pretty much subsided. Like I haven't, and still now, unless it's like maybe before my period and I know my body's going into a state of inflammation naturally, live pain-free now, which is pretty incredible because I still have those injuries. Like I never got surgery to fix them. The piece for me was when I was, yeah, it was when I was 18 and I went to the doctor to get that final diagnosis. He was ready to like cut me open. He's like, all right, well, I think we should schedule surgery. My dad has had three back surgeries. And he was like, yeah, no way. You're not going to be like, I would have been stiff. Like my back would have been fused together at 18. And when you think of just like moving through life and even carrying children, it's like to have that decision made for you at 18, that was kind of a wake up call for me, I think, to really get things under under control. And so, yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing because that would have been in 2020 one or 2020 so bad with dates but (laughs) like i was saying that when i finally got that diagnosis it was like okay like it's time to make changes and so i mean in five six years to have so many positive things happen has been pretty amazing and something i honestly didn't know was possible um i kind of thought if you lived with chronic pain that was what you were stuck with forever sure Um, but it was really cool to see that that doesn't have to be the case for everyone Yeah, and I think your story obviously does a wonderful job at exemplifying that. And, you know, your point of being 18 and having such a significant surgery, I think we see that so much in our world around these diagnoses that we're seeing in younger generations and populations and the disability that's there. And maybe these otherwise you know, what we would traditionally think as being issues you deal with when you're in your 60s, your 70s, mm-hmm. like back surgery, right? Something you typically think of or issues like, you know, diabetes and high blood pressure and whatnot. We're seeing it so much more in younger populations to the point of what exactly what you're saying, where it's, I'm 18 years old. Is this really mm-hmm. something that I am going to now live with for the rest of my life? There has to be another way. And there yeah. is, right? And you obviously learned through your own experience that there is and and your living testimony to the fact that it's possible to, you know, to heal in in a Mm -hmm. more um, holistic, less traditional way, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really important that we're we're openly sharing on it. Um, But I'm glad that you were able to kind of expand on both sides of those spectrum of the spectrum where, you know, too much of a good thing, not so good, Mm -hmm. right? And too little of a good thing, also not not so good. And finding that balance is really important. Of your practice, Bailey, and your work with clients has to do with inflammation. So could you please share a little bit about what inflammation is? Give us the lowdown, maybe some of the beliefs that we have within our culture around inflammation and you know just the 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 general um meaning of inflammation within the body is it good Mm -hmm. is it bad what do we got 
Yes. So inflammation, that is something that I got into after reflecting on my own experience with pain. I thought, you know, pain is pain. Like it's just an injury causes pain. I didn't think, oh, an injury causes inflammation, Mm. right? Or even we think of brain fog, like that's a sign of brain and nervous system inflammation, inflammation of the brain. And so really inflammation is your body's response to stress. And so where there's stress, it usually leads to inflammation. And what we've learned is that stress and inflammation is the root of all disease. And so it's like, okay, when you're able to link those two then to disease, you're like, maybe I should get this under control. Sure. At least that's for sure what I thought, especially when I was looking through, you know, learning all about inflammation. I'm like, this just makes so much sense, but I feel like it's not always talked about. It's like, oh, well, you, you have an injury or you have cancer, but we don't link that to inflammation. Sure. And when you do, you're able to kind of trace back maybe whatever has occurred to then lead you to have that diagnosis. And so through what I do is I take the inflammation assessment with all of my clients um, and it evaluates the seven different areas that inflammation can show up in your body, which I thought was so fascinating. And I can share those too. It would be brain and nervous system, digestive system, detoxification system, blood sugar and insulin system, hormonal, musculoskeletal and autoimmune. Those are the seven areas where you can see inflammation and with the inflammation assessment, it gives us a breakdown of how they score based off of a series of questions, which is just so, it's so interesting because especially like with brain and nervous system, it's like, well, are you experiencing brain fog or having a hard time remembering things? And I think people think those are all normal, Mm -hmm. right? I remember being in college and we lived at our sorority house and we would just eat terrible food. But all of my friends were like, well, I guess you're just bloated. When you become a 20 something year old, like you just, your body just doesn't digest food well. Like mm. we thought being bloated was so normal. Sure. And then when you learn like, no, that's a sign of inflammation in your digestive system. You're like, oh, well then maybe I should be paying attention to what I'm eating. Totally. Really, that is just a big part of what I do is like when we see the highest number. So For some clients, I mean, I would say for most it is digestive system just because our food system in the U.S. is not the best and it can be hard to make good decisions. Then we can trace it back towards doing like a remove and replace process with food. So let's take out gluten and let's see how your body responds. Sure. Okay, it responds the same. Then let's take out dairy. Okay, then let's take out seed oils. And, you know, it's like that process of just evaluating like how we can nourish our body to reduce inflammation, which I would say is a big piece of what I do is like healing your body holistically because I'm a holistic health coach, but also a lot of it has to do with the use of food and using food to decrease that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That inflammation assessment is so incredible. And I personally think, I think you and I have talked about this, but I personally think it's something that we should all we should all be doing and implementing Mm -hmm. and understanding. It should be something that everyone has available to them, that all doctors are utilizing, right? I think it's just Mm -hmm. such an important tool to really just begin in understanding where the inflammation is. I listened to a podcast one time um, and Dr. Mark Hyman, who's a functional medicine doctor, was a guest on the show. And he basically said, like you had mentioned, you know, inflammation is the root of all disease. And the way inflammation presents in the body is just based on you and your circumstances and your body Mm -hmm. and so forth. 
And all of these diseases that we commonly know are simply just manifestations of that inflammation. So it's Mm -hmm. all inflammation, it's just a matter of where it's showing up. And so through that assessment, that can help you, especially as a coach, but also the person better understand where mm-hmm. it's where it's showing up. And a lot of times, and I'm sure you encounter this, it's multi, a multitude of areas, right? It's not limited yes. to just, oh, everything else is, my score is zero, but the digestive mm-hmm. inflammation is through the roof. Sometimes that's the case, but a lot of times you'll see, okay, there is neuroinflammation, right? So inflammation of the brain, which is very common, you know, especially with mental health and so forth. Um, digestive, blood sugar, mm-hmm. you know, issues and so forth. Number one, because it's all connected. And number two, because we are so out of whack that a lot of times it's showing up in a multitude of places. I like what you had said about kind of this normalizing of symptomology. And I've definitely encountered that with clients. I've encountered that in my own personal journey. Um, But this whole concept of just being in your 20s or just getting older, right? I think Mm -hmm. that's a whole nother topic that I have... um, have issues with, or I, I kind of go off on when it comes to aging and these kind of things we've accepted as being part of aging, and it's just not necessarily the case. But how do you see that with the clients you work with, with their maybe cultural upbringing or the way they see their own symptoms, these more subclinical symptoms that are maybe not necessarily formally diagnosed, but they just mm-hmm. kind of exist and keep them at this kind of subpar, you know, functioning, right? Like feeling ugh not really feeling mm-hmm. good. How do you see that present with your clients and, and you know, how do you educate them on, you know, it can be better than this, right? You don't, you don't have to have these symptoms and live with them. Tell me a little bit yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, in everything that I do, I always start with the mind. And that is like our primary focus for the first four weeks of working together is your healthy boundaries, how you feel about yourself, what your relationship with food is. That's a huge piece that. of what I do based off of my experience is just let's heal your relationship with food or let's at least evaluate it. So I know as a coach, like how we can move forward, knowing how you feel about food. Maybe it makes you really nervous or anxious or frustrated. Um, So when we're able to evaluate that, I also then can see up like past traumas that can be brought up. Mm -hmm. And although I, I'm not a mental health therapist, I can't directly obviously cure any trauma, but it's at least bringing that to light and then seeing like, okay, how is that showing up? in your body. For a lot of people, they, you know, they think like, well, when I'm a kid, I don't know, maybe when they're a kid, how their family talked about food or handled food or the food security they had in their home, they don't really think that impacts how they view food then moving forward. Sure. But I've realized like as we evaluate the generational impact of food, it actually influences a lot more than just how they view food, but it's also how they view themselves. Totally which then can manifest into a variety of different symptoms, Um, especially like if I look at clients that have a hard time losing weight. Mm. Well, we evaluate, okay, with food, when they were growing up, they had to grab as much and eat as quickly as they could because they had so many siblings and they didn't have a lot of food. And so now as adults, they notice that habit of even if it's not food, maybe it is... I don't know, they're shopping and they just feel like they need to impulsively buy as much as they possibly can because they don't know when they'll get it next. Shows up, I think, a lot in clients. It's just like how even the relationship with food impacts how things have manifested into their body and how they react. Back to your question of like clients thinking it has to be this way, right? Like I have a client who was diagnosed with MS 
And for her, inflammation level was super high. Um, I believe when she started, she was polyinflammatory, meaning there was more higher than a score of eight in more than one of the seven categories. But musculoskeletal, when she started, was a 27, I believe, is how high she scored. And you want to be under eight is ideal. Okay. And so with having MS, she's like, well, I'm sure that won't really change much because of her diagnosis. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, that might be a factor, but we can definitely keep looking at it. So we took the midway assessment. So first time it was a 27. The next time it was a 13. So like her number almost cut in half. And she was like tearing up. She's like, oh my gosh, like how, how, like this is incredible. Like that's just amazing. And I'm like, you see, it's like when you realize like, yes, there is a diagnosis that might cause a symptom. It doesn't mean you have to be stuck with that symptom forever and that you can't improve it. Will she ever be under an eight? I don't know. Like that would be best case scenario. Sure. But at the same time, like for her number to cut in half after, what was it, 12 weeks? Yeah, that's amazing. It's like, we have to recognize that like, that's a huge improvement. Sure. And she physically feels so much better. And as a result of having less musculoskeletal inflammation, she wants to move her body more. Well, a great way to get your digestive system working is to move your body. So it's like all of these things line up to then have those scores decrease overall, Yeah. which I think that's, I mean, one case scenario where it's like, you don't have to just accept your diagnosis. Like you can still improve how you feel, even if, you know, there's deeper underlying symptoms there that we can't cure, like muscle spasms or sore joints. We can at least hopefully minimize the swelling or the water retention around that. Yeah, I love that. That's an incredible, incredible story. And what an impact that must have mm-hmm. had on, on this person's on this person's life. Um, that's, that's incredible. And, you know, I, to your point about trauma, I mean, that is huge, huge trauma lives in the body. And I think that that's where we forget the impact of the mind body. Um, but also, we forget what experiences that we had as children impact who we are today. And that's where mm-hmm. we're really short sighted in Western healthcare, in the sense of, you know, we're very focused on what are the symptoms you're feeling now, which yes, valid, understandably so, right? If somebody's mm-hmm. suffering in the here and now, what can we do to help that, right? However, what we aren't considering is the influences of our past medical history, of our antibiotic use, of our past traumas, stressors, something called adverse childhood experiences, which is essentially trauma in childhood, right? And really understanding collectively how all of this stress, as you mentioned, is influencing us and who we are today. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a really unfortunate, and I, I also understand how it's it's not a part of our medical you know, arena because it takes a lot more time. But mm-hmm. the outcomes as a result of that is is incredible. So if you were to up an anti-inflammatory lifestyle or give us an example of what that might look like in nutrition, in exercise, lifestyle, you know, I don't even want to say sum up. Give us the details and, and really kind of lay it out for us. What does that look like? Say, for example, this one client you know, that you, you just mentioned, how might you proceed in supporting them and reducing their scores and really seeing productive outcomes on the assessments and reduction, reduction and inflammation? Yeah. So I'm going to start with the food piece and then we can move into exercise and lifestyle. Um, but with food, that is a huge, like I mentioned, a huge piece of what I do is evaluating your diet and switching towards an anti-inflammatory diet, which I always like to say, it's not a traditional restrictive diet. It's just 
how you're filling your plate to feel your best. That's how I, how I kind of refer to it. So yeah. an anti-inflammatory eating, um, it means eating more whole foods, fruits and vegetables, a minimally processed foods. Um, even if you're going to eat a more processed food is how can we find the best ingredient processed food? Okay, so yeah. peanut butter is an example. If you get skippy peanut butter, they've got corn syrup and salt and soybean oil, maybe I believe is what it's in it. Whereas like you get a natural peanut butter, it's just peanuts. Like sure. that is a one example of a simplified version of the same product. And I think a big piece of what I do is just simplifying. You know, it's really becomes, and I shouldn't say easy, but it can become very simple if we think, okay, I need a protein source. Mm -hmm. You know, protein is always the first thing I recommend eating on your plate. Yes. Just because let's get that blood sugar stabilized. Let's just yeah. make just sure get we've it got out that. of the way. Yeah, just get it out of the way. <laughs> just eat it. And then we move to your vegetable. And then okay. you can have your starchy carb. I have yeah. a, the core four method. And then your fruit or finish with yeah. the sweetest part of your meal, right? Yeah. It's just like a way, and it doesn't have to always be that specific, but sure. I think for clients that struggle with digestive inflammation or blood sugar inflammation, yeah, I'm always like protein is huge. Like that needs yeah. to be number one. Yeah. Um, but just balancing out your plate and eating food yeah. that is in its original form. Yeah. And it's so funny because a lot of people will be like, how can you eat like that? Does your husband eat like this too? And I'm like, it really doesn't mean you have chicken and rice every night. Totally. That is so far from what I'm talking about, yes. but it, it getting creative yeah. and not just viewing food as something that keeps you alive, yeah. but, but viewing food as something that is critical to yeah. your overall health sure. and decreasing inflammation. Yeah. Um, fried foods are huge. You know, they can cause so much inflammation in your body. Sure. It's why you go out to eat and you probably don't feel that good. Like if you're really in tune with your body, I'm like, yeah. it's that mind body connection. And that's something that takes time to build. But once totally. you do, you're like, oh my gosh, have I always felt yeah. like this after eating out? Yeah. You start to recognize patterns where you don't feel good after eating something. And then that's where I'll have clients make sure they make note of that. Yeah. And so, okay, like we can then link it to something. It's sure. not like, oh, all of these foods make me feel bad. No, it's just soybean oil that yeah. is in that fried food that it's is not making not... you feel good, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah, I love that. I think that there's so much that you just said that I want to just touch on. I think the whole blood sugar issue and so forth, you know, 84% of Americans are pre-diabetic and don't know it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And just that alone, if we, we were more in touch with this concept that you're saying, where it's not necessarily prescriptive in nature, where you're saying, eat this, eat that, have chicken and rice. That's all you can have. Right. Which I always use that example too, because I think that's really what, um, healthy eating has been condensed mm -hmm. to, to, right. Is just or a salad. Chicken. Yes. Or salad. Right. And that's, I, I use yeah. the word claustrophobic with a lot of my clients. And a lot of times when I talk about this, because it is claustrophobic to think, oh my God, am I only going to be able to have chicken and, and, and salad for the rest of my life? Like, is this really mm -hmm. what it is? And I went through that phase myself, right? Where that was the only thing that I was eating essentially. But when it comes down to it, the structure that you're offering this core four method, which I'd love for you to explain a little bit more about that, mm -hmm. um, is really just understanding your macronutrition and then being strategic on how, how you build out your plate. And then the rest is up to you. 
right? The yes. rest is up to the person. And that's going to look different from day to day, from meal to meal, from week to week. But ultimately, that is just the framework. Those are just mm -hmm. the guidelines. And then you fill in the blank. And as long as you're maintaining that, and like you said, obviously using caution and judgment around, you know, fried foods and processed foods and so forth, you can make such a significant impact on your health just by simply doing that. Mm -hmm. And then what you were also saying about the mind-body connection and really making connections between how certain foods make you feel, awareness is everything. So if you can make those connections and identify, you know, I'm particularly symptomatic with X, Y, and Z after I have this food or after I do this or whatever mm -hmm. it is, the more that you can generate those connections it's maybe not always black and white, right? It's maybe mm -hmm. not always as obvious. And sometimes, you know, especially with things like sensitivities and so forth, it's a couple of days down the road and, and whatnot. But for the most part, if you can make an acknowledgement of, yeah, I don't feel so good when I have the soybean, soybean oil or whatever the case is, you can start to build your understanding and develop that awareness around what are the foods that help me feel, feel nourished? What are the foods that help me feel full and, and, you know, satisfied versus the meals that just don't do that for me. And it's not about restricting, it's not about eliminating them, it's just simply gravitating towards the foods that help you feel your best. And that's ultimately, you know, I think you and I both can agree that it's going to always be the real whole foods, right? That's just yes. that's just how it's gonna be. But can you share a little bit more about your core four method? I wanna hear more uh, on that. Yes, and I also wanted to mention too, when you have a symptom, it's usually six to eight hours after you actually eat it. Mm, so that okay. is something to note too, like with that connection of like, if you go out to eat, you might not feel bad until you wake up in the morning and yeah. you're bloated or you're gassy. Like that is a delayed reaction or sensitivity to that food. So sure. that's also something I wanted to mention. Love um, but yeah, so the core four method, I developed this because I just wanted to simplify having a balanced plate. Like it really doesn't have to be complex and it's not restrictive. So there's four different groups that I always think you should include on your plate. The first one being a protein. So this is, can be any source of protein. I typically do recommend animal-based protein if you are not vegetarian or vegan, just because I really think our bodies... I shouldn't, I mean, I shouldn't say they respond better, but I just really think that is a crucial part of mm -hmm. a standard diet, especially red meat during your period, maybe when you're deficient with iron, like there's just so many good things that can come from an animal-based protein. Yeah. But doesn't have to be if, if you're ve vegetarian or vegan, like I'd said. The second one is a starchy carb. And so this is your rice, your quinoa, your sourdough bread, your potatoes, something that is going to give your body that quick energy. And that's what a starchy carb does. And I really added this one because for a long time, I thought I needed to completely avoid all starchy carbs. I'm like, I'm trying to lose weight. I'm never eating pasta again. I'm only doing cauliflower rice. I will yeah. never do a brown or white rice. Like I really thought that carbs had to be eliminated. And yeah. from that, I noticed my hair fall was starting mm. to fall out. I had horrible brain fog, no energy. And I'm like, there has to be something missing. And that yeah. was definitely the one that I, and I think say I'm going to go on a low carb diet yeah. and that's like been a buzzword recently that I've heard. And I just want to like so much because <laughs> I'm like, you don't have to do yeah. that. Like, yeah, you really don't have to cut out a complete area and maybe you will lose weight, but it's because again, you're cutting out one complete area of the four, sure. which is going to make that happen, but you're probably not going to feel your best. Yeah. Then the third one is going to be a healthy fat. 
So this would be like your avocados, your nut butters. <laughs> Give me some ideas. Yes, not seeds. <laughs> oh yes, my gosh. Good stuff. Yeah. That's when my brain just immediately links like avocados. I do the same thing. I do the <laughs> same exact thing. And then I'm like, well, there's so many other sources, but avocado is just always what comes to mind. Fatty fish, yeah. which, you know, is, is yes. important, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I know. It's so funny. Um, and then the fourth one is going to be fiber in the form of a fresh or frozen fruit or vegetable. I typically okay. re recommend just because fresh and frozen are pretty comparable in yeah. quantity quality, especially because they usually flash freeze yes. things that have been frozen. And so I'm sure. like, if that's your next option, frozen is great. Mm -hmm. um, but having those com four components, it's really just four areas, which it does require some awareness of food, sure. right? It requires you to know what fits in each category. But I've created this system called like pick your plate. Mm. And so I have for clients, I have a list of each category and there's probably 20 or more different options under each one. Yeah. And so it's like, you're going to pick, like make your plate up a balanced plate. You just have to pick one from each category and then make that. And you've got everything you need. Sure. And so, yes, it requires some awareness of what fits in each category, but I feel like people naturally like learn that like it comes so easy to clients that i work with just because when you start really thinking of okay did this come from the earth like fruits or vegetables right sure. you can identify that it's harder to identify foods that are highly processed you know if you're looking at cereal like what category should cereal really fit into i would say not i mean it would be a starchy carb but yeah super high in sugar sure and so it's like it's just gets so much easier when you're looking at whole foods versus yeah. trying to look at all of these different packaged foods yeah. and try to categorize those. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. And mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that, you know, you've had success with this and it's a strategy that's really just the foundation of building mm -hmm. a plate, like what you're saying and the, the, the benefit that that can come, you know, with these clients, especially for those who maybe aren't eating enough fiber or are fearful of fats right? Mm -hmm. Or their protein is, is under, under where it needs to be, right? It gives them that map on mm -hmm. how to really structure their plate most effectively. And you're hitting those marks with every meal. You'll have so much success with just leaving everything else the same. I know mm -hmm. from my experience and, and, you know, just understanding food, you'll have so much success from just that alone, you know? So I, I think that's, that's huge. Um, and it also, you know, like what we had, what you had mentioned before, right? The first few weeks, you're getting to know the client's relationship with food by educating them on this structure, you're kind of in, inadvertently learning from them based mm -hmm. on their reaction or based on the ease it is, ease at which they have an ability to implement this method, right? Say, for example, you notice they are not so, so committed to adding in the healthy fats, right? You can kind of use that as information of like, okay, like, did you have an upbringing that feared fat or did you follow a low fat diet for a while? And now you're finding there's resistance to incorporating it for fear of too many calories or fear of too much fat because fat's the devil or, you know, what, what is it that's mm -hmm. going on there? So I think that's a really great way of kind of also gauging your client's relationship with food just by seeing how they move into this concept whether with resistance, not resistance, and so forth. I think it's a really, you know, multifaceted way to understand your client and then also equip them with strategies to, to fill their plate. Well, yeah, and if it's a client that really has struggled with binge eating or having mm -hmm. all of these cravings, sure. as soon as they're able to do, I always say, at least three meals a day that are balanced, core four meals, yeah. they 
almost all of the time their cravings completely go away and if they don't it's because they neglected the protein that day right or they're not drinking enough water but usually like just by creating balanced meals at least three times a day they notice they're not having those cravings because they're not hungry for it like their body is finally getting the components it needs to feel satisfied And then they're satisfied for four plus hours after they actually eat the meal, which is insane. Yeah. You know, like I always think of for sure when I was in high school, I would have breakfast, which would have been maybe a pop tart or a bowl of cereal. And then by nine o'clock, I was starving. Yeah. I'm like, I'm so hungry. And I didn't know why I'm like, I ate breakfast. Yeah. Okay. But did you really eat a balanced breakfast? No. So that's why you're hungry right away. Like it's noticing those habits that we have around food and just by making a tweak like that it's super impactful to minimizing cravings or the binge eating, or I think I notice a lot of like sugary or salty cravings. Some clients that have more of like the hormonal inflammation will really struggle with that. But when we just implement meals, it already makes a significant difference. Sure. Yeah. And it's so fascinating too, because say you had a pop tart for breakfast and you're thinking, well, I'm only having one, I'm not going to have two. (laughs) And then you're finding yourself ravenous at eight, nine o'clock you are then going to reach for whatever it is you're going to reach for, right? Not to mention that influence it has on your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, this concept of under eating with the intention of watching your calories is actually not serving you in any way because it's just causing you to to have resulted binging or to, you know, feel this kind of constant level of hunger where you just can't stop eating, right? And so just by implementing what you're saying, enough protein, right? The most satisfying Mm -hmm. macronutrient that alone is the key to so many, you know, so many issues, right? Or reducing these issues. And I think there's just this fear of eating too much when mm-hmm. so many of us have been led to believe that that is, that is wrong, that's not good, but your body knows, your body has intuition that I think a lot of us don't realize it has, right? And, and it knows when it's, when it's full, it can, it can communicate, right? That's, that's mm-hmm. the point, that's the mind-body connection too, right? Our stomach and to our brain, our hunger hormones, all of that, you know, important kind of our, our body's ability to regulate and to, to find homeostasis and, and to feel full and satisfied comes from eating real whole foods. And yet we've been told to mm-hmm. reduce our calorie intake, to eat less, and that's the way to live, right? Which you and I both know that's that's not the that's not healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Nor is it a sustainable way to live. Yeah. Well, and I think that was that's why the relationship with food peace is so crucial to what I do too, because a lot of women have been undernourishing their bodies. Or like I remember when I started eating a core four plate and I would post about it because I post a lot about what I eat on social media, I would get a lot of people messaging me like, oh my gosh, you eat a lot of food. And like, mm. as somebody who has struggled with her relationship with food and yeah. under eight for years, like at least a couple of years, it was very much under eating. I think that's just a comment, A, you should really never make, but also people yeah. don't realize that when you're eating whole foods, their calorie amount is so much less than if you were to eat a Pop-Tart for breakfast. Like sure. now I do like two eggs with sourdough and nut butter and blueberries and chia seeds on top and it's like that's probably close to the same amount of calories as two pop tarts yeah. and a latte like you but think the about micronutrition it, you're getting from yes. that is like oh my goodness night and day night exactly and, day. Yeah. and people i think they if they've not been around that or they haven't learned that they think oh my gosh she eats a lot of food but it's like but that's food that's lower in calories and it's not processed mm-hmm. like your body is able to properly digest that food because it just has to break that down. It doesn't have to sort out, I always say like the good from the bad. Like 
And then you don't have those symptoms of feeling bloated or constipated, sure. a very, pretty poor, I would say, breakfast of a sure. Pop-Tart and a latte. Yeah. Um, so it's things like that. And I also think a big thing for me too, and I like to tell my female clients, is like you'll probably eat more than your husband does or at least more times a day than your husband does. Yeah. Um, I was very self-conscious of that when I got married. I'm like, why am I hungry all the time? And he never snacks. Like it just yeah. drove me crazy. It made me mad and it made me self-conscious. Yeah. And then I learned, oh my gosh, like as women, our bodies need probably a little bit smaller meals, but more frequently throughout the day. Yeah. Whereas men, the traditional hunter and gatherers, they would eat a huge meal. They would leave. And then they would eat a huge meal when they got home. Like their sure. bodies are able to function on just having a huge meal and then not eating for hours. Yeah. Um, whereas women are a little different. So those are things around food too. I'm like, it's always good for people to know this if they don't, because yeah. it can really change how much food you eat in a day is if you sure. know just little things like that too. Yeah. No, and I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's important that we are conscious of the differences in biological men and biological women and, and especially for women um, understanding, you know, our cycle a little bit more and, you know, all the important things that come along with that and, 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 you know, how things change over the course of the month. Um, and I think to the point of someone messaging you about feeling like, oh my God, that's so much food, right? I think, you know, like you mentioned, it's, I don't think it's, you know, something that we should be commenting in general, right? But for someone who might say something like that, it likely comes from the culture that we live in, right? Which is what you kind of just said, where, you know, it's, it's trendy to undereat. It's trendy to, you know, restrict calories and, and so forth. And so, you know, it's about educating and really understanding that when you start to eat real whole foods and calories are less of importance to you, you make a profound impact on your health. Um, mm -hmm. But you also will likely find yourself eating more and that's okay because of the way you're composing your plate is, is significant um, in relation to your health. So it's, it's just kind of being willing to go through that transition, I think can be tough for people, but, um, I think you'll see the benefits on the other side. This concludes part one of my conversation with Bailey as we explored nutrition and wellness and Bailey was able to share on her own story and how that's really inspired her and motivated her to pursue what she's doing now with clients and working with clients on inflammation and so forth. And next week, we will continue to explore that together, talking about the food industry and health halos, the importance of mindset and, and how that influences our health and more. So thank you so much for being here. And I hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, be well.